Blog Talk Radio. The Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show. The Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show. Your hosts are here for the show tonight to interview our special guest. A show highlight, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, boxing, tennis, golf, story. Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, tune in for all the news and scores, reporting on the games, and so much more, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, the Allen and Sports Talk Show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show. Welcome to the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Podcast here on Friday, March the 3rd, 2023, as we are into the third month of the 2023 year, and we've got a lot of stuff to get through here tonight, a lot of stuff going on in the world of sports. Before we go any further, I want to welcome my colleague, Alan, to the program uh, here on the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Podcast. Good evening, Alan. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Thank you so much for being with us, and definitely thank you to listeners. I'm so excited to be on another great episode of the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. It's always great to be on this show every Friday night. It's a real blessing. Absolutely, and of course, tonight's show is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, Chef G's Florida Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting, you may need a support group. Alan, we got a loaded program here tonight, uh, jam-packed here this evening. Uh, just a ton of stuff to get to. We've got uh, Major League Baseball. Spring training has officially begun. The games began last Saturday around both the Cactus and Grapefruit Leagues in Florida and Arizona alike. Uh, then we've got, of course, uh, some new rules. We're going to go over some of how that has impacted the game here uh, going forward. Uh, we've got the uh, NCAA basketball tournaments uh, about to get uh, started here and uh, just so much more here tonight. So we're going to try to squeeze all that into about an hour and 15 minute show here this evening. Where do you want to start here tonight, Alan? I'm not sure where you want to go. <laughs> yeah, why don't we do that? We'll go ahead and talk about Major League Baseball and the new rules. We'll go ahead and do that. And in fact, we're going to go ahead and before we talk about Major League Baseball, we can't do that until we go ahead and officially kick it off by playing a great song by Sam Scola, Major League Baseball. We'll go ahead and play that great song. Thank you, Sam Scola, and thank you to your beautiful wife, Mary, for being great supporters of the Allen and Aaron Sports Radio Show. We're going to talk about baseball right after the great song, Major League Baseball, by Sam Scola, coming up right now.
the eight second mark or strike is called against them. So we'll start off there. What are your thoughts on just what I said right there as far as these new rules are concerned? I, I understand what Major League Baseball is trying to do, and I get it. So I, I commend them on trying to move the game forward and make it more action-packed, more watchable. So I, I'll give them props on that. I'm not a big fan of it. And let me tell you why, because it's kind of split in here. I love the fact that they had the timer out in center field between innings to kind of move the game along. I felt as if that does help. But the time factor, you you know, it's almost like giving a guy up. Like in football, you have a, a play clock, basically. Now in baseball, you have to basically throw the ball or be ready to hit within a certain period of time. I don't know if it's going to make up that much time in, in most cases. So I'm, I'm not a big, big fan of it. You know, I do think some major league players do waste some time. I will say that much in their major league baseball defense, but I just, I like the way they had it before where you get the point. Let's move the game along with that clock in center field. I think this, these, the time aspect of these rules it's kind of split in the ears. That's my honest thought on it. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm going to say it like this. So obviously we're going to see some new things that happen. You know, you go back about 10 years ago when they implemented uh, replay, and obviously that's changed the game quite dramatically. You think about how many managers were getting ejected from ball games um, over a call at first base where the umpire called the guy out and he was clearly safe. Now you can go back and and challenge it and get a replay and, and you know if there's enough evidence you can get it overturned so let me give you an example of what i don't like um on this and i agree with you i, I don't think this is something that is there's going to be unintended consequences from this one of those happened in a spring training game last saturday atlanta and boston i believe the game was actually in uh atlanta's home spring stadium down in northport and so it's a spring training game it's meaningless as far as the results all you're trying to do in spring training is have some guys win some jobs, get your reps in. It's just more about getting back into a rhythm. Baseball's a rhythm sport. So end of the game, it's a 3-2 count, bottom of the ninth. Braves have the bases loaded. 6-6 six, six is the, the score. Now the catcher is also part of this, too. The catcher has to be in the catcher's box, I believe, at the 10. It might be the 12-second mark. Some of these rules, I'm still kind of gathering and learning some information on the exact specifics on them. So the catcher was actually standing up and the batter for Atlanta, and I forget who it was, thought that the catcher was outside of the box. Well, he wasn't ready at eight seconds and they called strike three. So the game, and they're not gonna play extra innings in a spring training game, that just doesn't happen. The game ends on a strikeout because they gave the pitcher an additional strike because the batter's not ready. And I'm gonna say it like this, this is point blank. I don't, as a fan, and I'm sure millions of others, are not wanting to pay to go see a ball game that ends on a non-existent throw. Um, you want to give a guy strike one or strike two, maybe we can meet in the middle and say, okay, if, if you're not prepared by the eight-second mark or the ten-second mark or whatever they decide to go with on strike one and strike two, then certainly give them strike one or strike two. But the third strike, to end the ball game at that, 
I just feel like that's a terrible thing. I would never want to see a World Series in, regardless of who the team is that maybe I have a rooting interest for. I would never want to see a World Series end on something that's so silly and technical like that. Um, I, I agree with what you said before. You know, they they put a they you know they put a um, a clock out there. I, I want to say it's been about five years ago. It might have been further back. It was either 2016 or 2017. They put a clock in there. So that between innings, there's not a whole lot of dilly-dallying going on. It's, hey, you got two or two and a half minutes from the time that last one is recorded to the time that first pitch is supposed to be thrown in the next inning. So my mind is this. The rules should really be in place. Of, okay, they, they did away with uh, allowing so many, you know, trips to the mound by the catcher. I think you get, uh, I want to say it's three a game. I, I could be wrong on that. Some of this stuff, and I'm, I'm a baseball enthusiast. Everybody knows that. Some of these things, it's hard for me even to keep track of just because it's so – it's a minuscule thing, but it's also a big thing at the same time. So limit the amount of time that a pitcher can, can, can not be on the mound or not be at least up at the top where the rubber is where he puts his back foot. Same thing for batters. You know, if they step out of the batter's box for more than a, a certain amount of time or, you know, what's deemed to be a delay in the game – then put something in place for that. But this is just going to become a robotic sport if they continue to go down the path that they're on. So that's just the, the clock part of things. There's some other stuff uh, as well. Now, I want to get, get your reaction to what I just mentioned there. What, what are your thoughts on some of the things that I said? Yeah, you, you don't want a game to end on a technicality. I agree with you on that. And that's my fear with that rule. I do, in Major League Baseball defense, I do like it where you're not sitting there, the guy's looking, waiting for you to throw the ball, then he calls time, the, the ump doesn't give it to you, a strike is thrown, a ball is thrown, you step out of the batter's box, then you got to reset and do this all over again. That sometimes gets annoying to me. I, I will say that much. I remember, to your point, I remember watching Chipper Jones get ready to hit. And I guess this guy was just going to him and his catcher were having they weren't on the same page so they didn't know what to throw chipper so he's giving a sign the guy's shaking him off and he just taking forever to throw the ball and chipper jones asked for time and steps out but you can almost tell by chipper jones reaction before he stepped out like okay where you gonna throw the ball you know you're like come on man you're like like i'm ready like you i'm i'm cocked and ready to go when are you gonna actually throw the ball he didn't say that but his body language was like all right, man, like, throw the ball, you know? So he, he, he wisely calls time, and I agree with him because it was taking too long. So I think maybe that will help in those situations, but I just feel as if the ball or strike call, I, I you know, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to put the sense of urgency. That part I'm not really sure about. Maybe you take another 15 seconds off the clock in between innings, Maybe that would have been a little bit better, but I just don't – I don't want a game to be decided on a phantom strike or a phantom ball. And with runners on base, what the rule is, just so that we make sure we give this right to the people to understand, the new rule, I'm going to read it verbatim. There is a 30-second timer between batters and a time limit between pitches. After receiving the ball from the catcher or umpire – Pitchers are required to begin their motion within 15 seconds 
with the bases empty or within 20 seconds with runners on base. So they give you a little bit more time with runners on base. You got to basically, you got to basically get that ball to the in motion within 15 seconds. I, I don't know. I just think that this is going to be a good thing, but I also think it could be a really bad thing. Yeah, I, I, I think that it's something new. It's something that we've never seen before. And, you know, this has been discussed for years. You know, they talked about this probably 20 years ago. And I remember somebody saying, and I, I forget who it was in the baseball community, that, you know, when Abner Doubleday invented baseball, you know, 175 years ago or whatever it was, you know, he didn't put a clock on it. And I agree. I, I think that it, it takes away, in my opinion, the spirit of the game. And the other thing, too, I understand they're trying to speed the game along, but here is my other thought on this, and this is just kind of a, a practical, um, contemporary way of thinking. You know, we're in a really tough economic climate right now, and going to a baseball game, whether it's a spring training game or a regular season game, is not inexpensive by any stretch of the imagination. You think about tickets, fees for the tickets. You think about driving to wherever the stadium is, paying for parking, um, all these things that you're doing because you want to be entertained for, you know, a three-hour period, give or take, on the time frame. I don't know anybody who goes to the movies and says, you know what, that was a great movie. I loved it. It was great. It had great action in it. But, man, it was too long. You pay money. You pay your hard-earned money to go see a, a sporting event. Why shouldn't it last three hours, three and a half hours, four hours, or whatever it gets you know, taken to. That's just the way it is. I, I, so at this point, essentially what you're doing, and again, this is a, a practical point, and I'm just throwing my opinion out there, you're paying more, but you're getting less, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that sure does. That's pretty much how our society is, you know. Every time, the, you know, you see it in big companies. Gatorade, if you don't pay attention, the, Gatorade doesn't have, it's not 32 ounces anymore. They reduce it down to 28 ounces, and if you're not paying attention, you wouldn't notice him. I noticed it. You know, the the bottle is shaped the same, but it's not the same amount. They did the same thing with toilet paper, and that's how our society is. You pay more or you and you get less. You know, unfortunately, even you see that things like the Dollar Tree, you know, they it's now it's not even a dollar anymore, it's dollar twenty five. Some of the things they give you is a little less. You know, <laughs> It's just, it's just how things are. They, what they'll do is they'll charge you the same price, but they'll actually literally give you a little less. And they, they'll be slick about it. You know, they'll be real slick and not make it obvious. But if you're paying attention, you will notice it. Check that Gatorade thing. It's not 32 ounces anymore. It's 28 ounces. And, you know, it's a copycat type of thing. Powerade is doing the same thing. It looks the same, the container, but if you look, it is a little bit smaller. So that's, you know, that's what our society is doing. These guys get paid millions of dollars. Now they get paid millions of dollars. They have to work just a little bit faster. They get their day out of, they get out of there a little quicker. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> if it's 10, 15 minutes, it's still 10, 15 minutes, even 20 minutes. I don't, I don't know how, how much is going to pack like a full game. I don't think there's enough of a sample size yet because, you, like you mentioned, it's spring training. But it is going to make a difference. I will say that much. You're gonna, you have to move, move it along, get the, 
you and the catcher got to be on the same page within the first sign or two, maybe three. That's it. You know what I'm saying? What do you think about that aspect, the first one or two signs? Well, I, and I think they've, they've, uh, they've advanced the technology between the, the uh, communication, that is, between catcher and pitcher. With, uh, they have the little device that the catcher wears in their ear. The pitcher has um, basically a little device he wears on his side of his head that he can take off in between innings that allows him to hear what the catcher is wanting him to throw. So they have their signs. It's no longer strictly the traditional, you know, I'm putting one finger down for a fastball, two for a curveball, and those sorts of things. So it's, it's changing there. And I, I like that part of it because what that does is that eliminates, not completely, but it eliminates a good percentage of pitcher not knowing what signs there are and, and not having to, have that vision to be able to see the finger down, you know, or is, is it the third finger he puts down? Is it the fourth, you know, there's a lot of mix up there. That'll save some time there for sure. So that is a good thing. I don't think there's any question about that. My concern as a former pitcher and as somebody who really admires pitching because pitching is the art of baseball, injuries, we're making these guys throw at a quicker and quicker and quicker pace. And sometimes that, you know, your arm is like a, a piece of elastic. And eventually that elastic is going to stretch to the way you can't get it back into the same shape it was in before. I wonder, and I think this will be something that we'll not really see for about, probably about five, maybe even 10 years. What is the increase going to be on pitchers who require reconstructive elbow surgery, Tommy John surgery, as they call it? Is that going to increase? And I think this would be a good test to see. If we talk about this in the year 20. 28 or the year 2033, that's five and 10 years from now, will we be talking about pitchers who had to have that surgery? And what is the increase in percentage of what it was prior to these rules coming into place? Now, I will say this. They piloted this program in the minor leagues uh, with the, the clock, the pitch clock and all that stuff. The last two, two to three years, really the last two years, because there was no minor leagues in 2020. And obviously, these are what they have come up with now. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that we could see these rules um, tweaked a little bit here and there. That's not an uncommon thing. But look what we got in 2020, the pandemic year. We got two things that are now around for good, and that is the universal designated hitter. And also, we've got the ghost runner in extra innings which I'm not so crazy about. I understand, again, why they do it, but I'm not a huge fan of, uh, of that. Now, some of the other things, and we talked about this several months ago because we kind of saw the writing on the wall, and this is going to happen. When they agreed last March to end the lockout, part of it, there was a rules package being implemented, and that was doing away with the shift. And I think you and I are in agreement on this. I, I'm – I'm not a big fan of the shift itself, but I also believe that if that's where they wanted to put their defense, I don't care if you put, you want to put all seven of your, put put all your infielders and your outfielders in the infielder and the outfielder wherever, as long as they're in the field of play, not in foul territory, I have no problem with it. So I'm, I'm, I'm against the shift being banned uh, to the degree that it is. You can still technically shift deep second base, on the infield, you have to be on the clay. Um, but that's a rule that I'm not a big fan of. What, do you, what are your thoughts on uh, the shift being banned? 
I, I don't like that rule at all. I actually don't like that more than speeding up the game, believe it or not. And the reason why I don't like it is because, hey, if you are a pull hitter and they're giving you an opportunity to hit the ball on the opposite side of the field and you don't do it, they're giving you the opportunity. They're saying, hey, you go. We're daring you to hit it there. Not only if you lay a bunt there or if you hit it in the gap, you're probably going to get a double, not even a single out of it, or at least, you know, you know what I mean? You have a golden opportunity. You as a baseball player should be good enough to wait for a pitch and hit it where they're not, you know, especially when they're doing that shifting. As a baseball player, that, you know, as you mentioned, the art is pitching, but there's also hitting too, and you got to be a smart baseball player. You have to practice on hitting the ball to opposite field, pulling the ball. It's part of the it's part of the gig. One of the best hitters to ever do it. May he rest in peace. It, you know, there's there's been a lot of players. Tony Gwynn. If you ever watched Tony Gwynn come to the ballpark and do BP, it was phenomenal. He would practice hitting the ball to the opposite field all day long, and then he would hit it. You know, if he wanted to pull it. I mean, that's skill right there. And if you just want to – now you're just making it easier for the hitter. Okay, I'm a pull hitter. Now the switch is banned pretty much. You know what you're saying? I, I can keep doing what I was doing before. No. You know what I mean? There's certain things that, believe it or not, in Little League that I've felt as if some of the fundamentals, and I believe in, in Little League that I played in, were so good that some of the major league baseball players don't implement it a lot of times, and I feel like it's to their detriment. Like, if a guy's been throwing a lot, bunch of balls, to give you an example, Aaron, a guy's been throwing, let's say, six, seven, eight balls in a row, my coaches say, wait till he throws your strike before you swing, the, swing your bat. Sounds simplistic, but guys will go up there and try to swing on the first pitch and help the guy out. You understand? Like, he can't find the zone – why are you swinging at a pitch after he's thrown seven, eight balls? And these little fundamentals, some of the major leaguers don't do it. Hitting tops inside a field is part of your skill set. I don't like the shift rule at all. Well, and to piggyback off that, you know, you talk about fundamentals. One that I think has died completely, actually two of them, they say speed kills, right? So speed is something you cannot teach. Good base running habits you can teach. So that's one thing that I think has to some degree, disappeared. We don't see the Ricky Henderson, Marquise Grissom, Kenny Lofton, um, Tim Raines, those, those type of speedsters. We don't see those guys anymore. Guys who are stealing 80, 90 bases a year, now the league leader in base, uh, base steals is 40, 45, maybe 50. Um, it, it, it's just not an art that's there anymore. Maybe that'll come back. I don't know. I think part of it is guys are bigger, faster, stronger now. And their speed is more on getting that extra base. You know, they're legging out a double instead of a single. They're legging out a triple instead of a double. So there, there's an impact there. But the other thing, that, and this, this blew me away back in 2020, uh, was during the playoffs uh, in the pandemic here, uh, watching a game between Atlanta and Cincinnati in the playoffs, and a game that Atlanta ended up winning with the ghost runner helping them out, you start that inning off with nobody out and a runner at second base, and you can't bunt the ball. Bunting is a lost art. It has gone away. 
It is simply something that I guess they just don't want to do anymore. And I, I cannot understand that for the life of me. When I took batting practice, when I played ball years and years and years ago, and you'll watch this typically if you are at the ballpark at a major league stadium watching batting practice, they typically start off with bunting practice. That's the first thing you do. You go up, you go up, you take about five, maybe six pitches, and you bunt, and you try to get the ball within about a five-foot radius of where you're at. That has seemed to be something that has disappeared. Um, and I think that the biggest thing about baseball, think about how big baseball is and how great it is, it's a game of inches, as they say. What's lost in baseball is small ball that has just gone away. It's all about the the home run. It's all about the, you know, the um, the, the sexiness of, of scoring runs. And I'm on the other side of it. I would much rather see a one nothing masterpiece shutout by the starting pitcher, you know, who goes nine innings. That kind of stuff's not going to happen anymore, unfortunately. The game has changed that drastically. That when you see that, it's going to be a very very uncommon event. Yeah, the fundamentals. You're absolutely right. Have have really been lost. Bunting, stealing. You know, go ahead and doing smart plays, small ball, as you mentioned, hitting the ball to the opposite side of the field, taking advantage of situations. Hey, if, if they had a shift on, most players, that would be like, oh, this is a great opportunity for me. I could just, you know, bunt it or hit it on the other side of the field, and I'm going to get a single, maybe even a double if I, you know, leg it out right or hit it well. But now – Guys will throw seven, eight balls in a row, and the guy will come up next at bat and hack it at the first pitch that's not even in the zone and help the guy out. And now I just don't get it. Now, there's a lot of fundamentals that I'm telling you, my coach would just would have been ballistic on some of the stuff that some of the major leaguers do. It really is a lost art. And I got to give the Red Sox credit. That's the reason why they came back and beat the Yankees in that biggest, you know, debacle ever and collapse in sports history, in my opinion, is because the Red Sox were better at playing small ball against the Yankees. The Yankees were kind of too, too much home run, uh, to your point, too home run happy. You live and die by the long ball. The Red Sox were willing to steal. They were willing to bunt, take the extra base. And more importantly, they did not swing outside the zone up and down that order, that whole lineup. If you didn't throw the ball over the plate, they were not going to help you out. None of their hitters were like that. They were very disciplined hitters. Makes a big difference when you're playing baseball. It does, and in my opinion, and I've always believed this from the day I started playing baseball 30 years ago, if you can't do the small things, you can't do the big things right. Um, You can't rely on the home run. Um, It's nice to have it. It certainly is nice to have, but I'll say this, you know, the home run is the sexy thing in, in baseball, right? So, you know, you go back to the 90s, and you probably remember the, the Nike commercial, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and Mark McGuire and Tony Sosa and, you know, chicks dig the long ball, that whole, um, that whole uh, mantra or, or advertising campaign they had back then. I look at it this way. It, it is cool to see a guy hit a home run 500 feet into the upper deck because that's a long way to hit a baseball. I never hit them that far. And it's just something you don't see very often. So it is cool to see that. But what's more important, a 500-foot solo home run that puts one run on the board or 
a guy who has a tough at bat against a good pitcher ends up singling up the middle with runners on second and third and two runs score. So he hits the ball a lot shorter through a defense and two runs come in versus one. So I think there's a, there's a difference there that I think is, is, is immense. And, and, you know, again, home runs are a good thing to have. It's nice. You know, the, the thing that Chip Carey used to use all the time with Atlanta is we're a bloop and a blast away from getting back in this ballgame, meaning we need a couple little base hits here. We can string something together, and then one of our big boppers comes up and hits one out of the ballpark. It's nice to have that, but you can't have that unless you have that guy hitting those bloop singles or, you know, up-the-middle singles before it happens. So it, it is um, – I don't want to say strategic, but I guess that's the best word to use here is you gotta you gotta piece it together and put it together the right way. Yeah, you're right. It's a bloop and a blast. That's right. I mean, it, it is it is really cool to see home runs. They're they're I see the fascination why people like to see them. It is just it's just amazing to see it. You know, it's a as they would say a Herculean act. You know, hitting a ball if you don't hit it 500 feet, but you hit it 30, 40 rows back, it's impressive. You know, and but like you said, when you face very good pitching, it's hard for you to get the ball out of the ballpark. I mean, does it happen? Of course, but you can't just rely on that. You have to manufacture runs. And if yeah, if he's throwing a ball that's over the middle of the plate, and you feel as if you can get all of it, you should. But you you got to be able to have more to your game, to in my point of view, than just be one dimensional. You know, I love guys like. Ken Griffey Jr., one of the great things about his game is that, yes, the guy could hit some long home runs, but the guy could do it all. He could catch. He could hit for average. Just a phenomenal baseball player. You know, I always, my coaches always preach, don't be one-dimensional. Be able to do a lot more with your game. Be able to run the bases, run it well, and be able to, you know, take the extra base when needed be able to hit the home runs, be able to bunt. That's what shows you're a complete baseball player. Yeah, and Griffey was a five-tool player. Um, the five tools are uh, can run, can hit, can hit with power, uh, can field, and can throw. And he was the, I mean, he was the epitome of that. But honestly, I think talent-wise, he's right up there at the top. I don't think there's a whole lot of players that I ever watched in my lifetime to this point that I think were better than him. And unfortunately, the last half of his career, the last eight to ten years of his career, really once he went to Cincinnati, were injury plagued. If he had had as good of luck with his health for the most part in the last ten years of his career as he did in the first ten years of his career, we'd probably be talking about him with over 800 home runs. He was at 398 when he went to Cincinnati at 30 years old way back in 2000. And you think about doubling that number, that puts him right just a hair shy of 800 if he'd been able to, to duplicate that. Now, he still had a great second half of his career. He had 232 home runs between 2000 and 2010 or 2009 when he retired. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, injuries, he had some, some leg issues, uh, had some back issues. And, you know, unfortunately, when you get into your 30s, if you start having that stuff happen, unfortunately, it can be one of the things that sticks with you. And for him, you know, he's still a great player, first ballot Hall of Famer, um, one of the best to ever, one of the best to ever play, and had the sweetest swing, by the way. I think that's that's really um, one of his biggest iconic things is the swing, and obviously, great defender in the outfield too. Um, always loved watching him. Um, 
you know, when he was with Seattle and even when he was with Cincinnati. So, um, but, you know, we, we talked about the, the, the stuff that is maybe more impactful to the direct part of the game that we watch right now with the clock and, and, you know, that sort of stuff. Now, the, of course, the shift as well. Now we've got the, the change in the size of the bases, which I know some people might think, well, how does that really impact things? So the bases used to be 15 inches by 15 inches. Now they are 18 inches by 18 inches. So it seems minuscule, but I always go back to what I've said before. Baseball's a game of inches. It's a small game on a big field. And so the idea, I think, behind this is, one, safety. But two, they're trying to propagate, I guess you could say, more base stealing. It's come down to, and I'm sure they did studies on this, it's come down the last several years where how close are those plays when they're trying to throw a guy out at second base or third base. So that extra three inches, it's really an extra six, I guess, because you're three inches closer from first and three inches closer from second. It's going to make a difference. I think the safety part is probably the biggest thing. But what are your thoughts on the bigger bases now? The bigger bases thing, I think it's going to get some time for players to get used to it. But I, I, I could see it enticing somebody to steal more. <laughs> you know, you see a bigger target. <laughs> and then that would be cool. From a safety point, it will give the batter – I'm sorry, the runner as well as the defender a little bit more room. You know, when they do the swipe tag – now, if the guy's sliding in the corner, he's going to be a little bit further away from you. And that's a good thing. You know, I, I feel as if sometimes it gets a little crowded when you're trying to get for the bag and you have somebody trying to swipe at it, trying to swipe tag you. So I think that's good. I just think it probably will help out the shortstop or second baseman a little bit because now you're going to look like you're actually – touching the bag, you know, they give you the in the neighborhood type of call. Now you have more real estate, so it might help them out. But I, I don't I, – I think for a safety issue, I don't have a problem with this one. I know it's going to take some adjustment for the players. And for them to try to steal a little bit more, it probably will entice them a little bit more to steal. So I also think they're doing it for another reason. I heard they're going to put some type of advertisement on there too. So – it's it's <laughs> the advertisement is going to be bigger, so I I think it's it's more reasons than just safety that they're doing it. They're not going to say that. I don't really have an issue with the three inches with the bag as much. That one is kind of like kind of ho hum, but definitely the shift thing I have a bigger issue with. What are your thoughts on the bigger bag? So I, I like the safety aspect of it, and I, I do want to see more base running. I think it is, as I mentioned before, you know, we've gone from back in the 80s where, you know, commonly you'd see Ricky Henderson swipe over 100 bases a year. I wasn't – I mean, look, I had 1,500-plus stolen bases in his career, so you know, 80 was a low year for him, and I think it's the highest was 130, if I remember correctly. So, um, you know, I, I think if it entices that, that's a good thing. Now, here is the other side of that. So this is a rule that I really am not a fan of. So we've seen before many times in the last however many years, a pitcher will throw to first base. The pitcher's got his mind occupied on whoever is the runner. That's always the game within the game, as they say. So now if I'm a pitcher and I throw over to first base to get the runner who's over there because he's leading off a little too far, 
If I don't get him out on the third attempt, it's a balk. And the runner at first base gets to move on to second. And, oh, by the way, let me throw this other two. Say there was a runner at third as well or a runner at second. If you get called a balk on you, those other runners get, get to move up as well. So it, 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 it prompts, I think, the runner to decide, hey, do I want to go ahead and take off? But it also limits, it handcuffs the pitcher in the number of times he can throw over to keep the, you know, keep the runner honest. And so I, I'm just not a fan of this. I think this takes away from the tradition of the game. And like I said, sometimes the most enjoyable part of the game of baseball is the game within the game, the strategy, the the uh, cat and mouse, which I would say is the, 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 the pitcher throwing over to first base. That's a cat and mouse game. That's part of the little ball right there. It's part of the runner getting in the head of the pitcher. And now I think it's going to be even more so because now that guy knows, hey, I already threw over twice and I didn't get him out. I'm still thinking about him, and I might throw a pitch right down the middle, and whoever's hitting, hitting at the plate, he might take me out of the park. So I think it's going to – I think that will increase – That'll increase batting averages, I believe, and I think it'll also probably increase some home runs at the same time. And, of course, it's going to hurt pitchers because we're going to see guys go over for a third time. They're not going to get the guy out, and guess what? You know, it's going to be a bulk, a bulk and they're going to – runners going to get second base automatically. So, I, I just I, – I simply don't agree with this one. I think it's a really bad decision. Yeah, I mean, what I see that bigger bag more than anything, safety, some – but I can see when a new Spider-Man movie comes out, they got a bigger spot for advertisement. That's what I see. You know, that's what I see because that's what, you know, they were talking about putting advertisement on the bag, you know, on the side of the bag where you could see it. I see that being the, the thing that they're going to do. They're going to sell that spot for advertising. That's what I think is going to happen. More so – the safety, yes, but I think Major League Baseball is a business. They're going to do that, too. What do you think about the advertisement on the bag? Well, that new movie? You know, yeah, we, we got to get Chef G on this. We got to get Chef G's barbecue sauce right there on one of these bags. You know, that's going to be a, a, a moneymaker for him. I, I'd like a finder's fee, by the way. Just want to throw that out there, you know, for, for helping out there. But, no, um, you know, look, you can't go to a, a sporting event, a baseball game in, in particular, and not see, you know, local businesses or, you know, different companies that are advertising. It's everywhere. You, you can't go anywhere without that. And, you know, for a long time, they've stayed away from that on sports uniforms. I think it's the Padres this year that are going to be the first team to have an ad on their jerseys. I don't want this to turn into NASCAR. NASCAR is largely funded by sponsorships like that. Oh, yeah. Major League Baseball and the National Football League are, are largely sponsored by billboards and signs within the ballpark. In my opinion, leave the uniform alone. You already have the Nike emblem on there. You've already got the New Era emblem on the hat. You've already got the shoes, and the guy has a contract with the shoes. Leave the uniforms alone. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but I know how corporate greed is. And when somebody's giving you or saying, hey, I'll give you, I'll buy this for X, Y, Z dollars, people listen. You know, that's why, for example, the NFL, the reason why you have Thursday night on Amazon, because Jeff Bezos 
and Roger Goodell, they were talking business. And he was willing to spend the money to get that rights to do it. I just see if you if you got deep enough pockets, somebody's going to listen to what you have to say. And corporate and corporate greed is a real thing. I agree with you, but I see that bigger bag having an advertisement with either Chef G's Florida barbecue sauce, so delicious and addicting, you may need a support group, or the newest movie release. That's what I see it. Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct. You'll you'll have one of those things on there, and you know, I mean, it, it, ads are one thing. I mean, obviously, it's it's good to have those things. Um, it, it's one of those things where it's messing a little bit with the, the tradition. I, I'm a big fan of signs myself. I'd rather see a sign in a park, but it, it's inevitable this is coming. Uh, you'll see this happen probably in other areas of the ballpark too. You'll see it on the uniforms. It probably won't be huge, but it'll be on there. It'll be one of those things where you'll say, hey, I saw something on the sleeve. What was that? And you'll, you'll, that'll be the intrigue right there is, and that, that's how you do it, of course, is you try to get people to, to see something they don't see normally. The next thing will probably be the actual field itself. You'll have, you know, the, the painted on logo of some company. Um, it'll continue to happen. And the bases, of course, are going to be probably the first thing like you said before. So, um, so Really, all of our baseball talk here tonight has been majority of, of the rules changes. Uh, obviously, we're only a week into spring, so we haven't really, other than that one little controversial thing last Saturday in, uh, in the game between Atlanta and Boston, that's really the only big thing we've seen so far. I think we'll see some things happen as the season approaches and get started. It'll maybe be a little bit more controversial because at that point, the games actually matter. The results matter. It goes into the standings so on and so forth. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a show where we talk about basically our projections for the season. I think that'll be a lot of fun. I always like to wait till right before the season starts on that because a lot of things can happen. You could have a guy go down with an injury that's a key player, and that could change the whole trajectory of the division that that team is in. Um, so I guess it's about three weeks from now that'll be on the 31st. It'll be the last show of the month. Uh, we'll have a, a program where Basically, it's a baseball preview for 2023. So looking forward to that. That'll be a, a heck of a lot of fun. Um, and I just want to say this, too. Uh, being down in St. Louis uh, or down in uh, Jupiter last week with the Cardinals train, I saw our old buddy Chip Carey. Um, he was uh, right. Right, in the middle, right in the middle of the broadcast. I couldn't really say anything to him, but um, it's good to see him there. He's, uh, he's enjoying his time with his new club, the St. Louis Cardinals. He's now the new play-by-play voice there. Congratulations again to him. Uh, he took that job here. Uh, back about uh, or not six weeks or so ago, back towards the end of January. Um, so happy for him. He's right at home uh, with his new club, and um, we'll probably listen to him sometime during the season. So, but uh, this is a busy month, Alan. Uh, we have um, NFL free agency about to start. That's one thing we didn't even have on our show notes here tonight was how close we are to those things starting to kick off, and of course uh, the NCAA basketball tournament. Um, Let's start off with the NFL for a moment. We'll go kind of briefly into that. Uh, free agency is about to start. Quarterback uh, movement is probably going to be pretty high this year. What do you think is going to be the biggest either trade or free agent signing that is going to impact a particular organization this offseason? Definitely with Tom Brady really actually staying retired to see with the Bucks who they bring in. Number one, first and foremost, to bring in for the new quarterback. That will be a, a sight to see. 
But also, let's see what happens with Lamar Jackson. I just feel as if they're too far apart in negotiations, and I think Lamar's going to get his feelings hurt. I, I understand that, you know, he wants to get a Deshaun Watson-type deal, but sometimes when you copy people, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work out the same way for you like it did for someone else. And I feel like that's where this is trending. If you're $100 million apart, I don't see you getting or getting to that point where you're going to be happy. You know, I just think that's going to end bad. I just have that feeling. But I definitely those two moves right there, Lamar Jackson and Tom Brady, who's going to replace Tom Brady? And speaking of Tom Brady, let me go ahead and share some racing news for Tom Brady for us today. But before we talk about racing and Tom Brady, we're going to go ahead and play a great song by Sam Scola, A Race to the Finish Line. We want to thank Sam Scola and his wife, Mary, again for providing us such great music on the Allen and Aaron Sponsored Radio Show. So we're going to talk about Tom Brady and his move with racing, speaking of Tom Brady. Before we do that, let's play A Race to the Finish Line by Sam Scola. Starting gate, you hear their engines roar. You see the flag wave them on, racing down the speedway, speeding down the track. A race to the finish line, the long winding raceway. Race to the finish line. Drivers keep driving on, faster and faster they go. Drive so many laps along the wide turns. The cars hit each other, a race to the finish line. You hear the loud crashing sound, a race to the finish line. One last pit stop, a race to the finish line. The high speed danger, a race to the finish line. The winner at the finish line, a race to the finish go Sam Scola (laughs) thank you Sam Scola yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's great to have our old musician here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio show fantastic and thank you again Sam Scola and Mary we really appreciate you from the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio show guys are the best and that's what we're going to be talking about racing news so Tom Brady for those who don't know is going to be a sponsor of a new IndyCar, as if this guy doesn't dabble into enough. What are your thoughts, Aaron, on Tom Brady being a sponsor of a of a race car? Well, I mean, you know, at this point, you know, 
I mean, the guy's accomplished pretty much everything you can in the sports world. Obviously, he's going into broadcasting. He's taking a year off, and he's going to be working for Fox for at least, uh, what, 10 years? I believe it's the contract he signed. So this is something that is just a side project for him, I would say. Um, it's neat to be able to do that. You look at some guys who were not necessarily in the world of racing that have gotten into it as uh, either an owner or a sponsor. You look at uh, David Letterman, who, of course, uh, hosted the, uh, the, the late show for, what, 30 years or so, or 35 years. He's a big IndyCar uh, uh, owner at this point. And, and um, so there's a lot of other people that are in the same uh, boat. Look at NASCAR. We talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago with uh, Michael Jordan, obviously, uh, Pitbull. So this is just another venture, I think, for, for Tom Brady. I think it gives him something to to uh, to do in his, his spare time or his free time. And look, being a, a, an analyst now in the NFL, once that gets kicked off here in a year and a half or so, it's not like he's working every weekend or every uh, every week for the whole year. So he's got to have something to do in the off season. So this is a good thing for him. And, you know, he probably has the money to do it, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know what? When you got money to, to crash and burn, which is basically when you own a car, which you have to be willing to do is spend that cash because you need parts, you need fuel, you need a maintenance crew. You have wrecks, as they would say. Uh, you know, these things cost a lot of money, and <laughs> you need to keep up with the new technology, too. It's a big money pit until you start winning a lot of races, you know. And But, you know, kudos to Tom. He's doing his thing, you know, like you said, keep himself busy. Tom seems like the type of guy to me that doesn't like to, to kind of sit around. He needs to be busy. And not only does he need to be busy, he seems like the type of person to me that, not knocking Tom, but he likes, he loves the attention. He wants to be the spotlight. And I think he struggles when the spotlight is not on him at this point. So this is another way for him to, you know, stay in the spotlight. He's got a race car team. And, I, you know, I, I definitely think he's going to be in it to win it. Michael Jordan, that's a good guy who's, you know, who's in it. Like you said, pit bull. Pitbull was there, by the way, the Daytona 500. We missed him. You know that? You believe that? Wow, so many uh, faces in the crowd. You know, I, I probably walked right past him and didn't even realize it uh, with as many people were there with us uh, two weeks ago now. <sighs> I can't believe that. You know, but we didn't miss them all. We saw a lot of celebrities there. And, oh, and before I forget, definitely, Blippy, major props to Blippy. You know what he did today? That's my guy. And I really hope that it comes to fruition. They give us a call here. I gave the opportunity for Blippi to come on our show. And hopefully it comes to fruition. They contact us and we set up a date. But you know what Blippi did today? He responded to one of my comments on Facebook. You know what? And he deserves a round of applause for doing that. B-L-I-P-P-I. Yep, Blippi, he, he did. That was, that was really neat to see that, uh, you know, especially with as busy as I'm sure he is, uh, to be able to have him uh, comment there. Uh, I, I did. You saw it? I did. I saw it this morning. 
<laughs> yeah, so there you go. There's a proof in the pudding, guys. We don't make stuff up here at the Alladera Sports and Grand Show. These blessings, are, you know, people might just think that we're just making stuff up. No, we're not. This stuff is just, you know, God's been great to us. So, yes, he did respond, and I replied back. And And the crazy thing about it was it was me putting up a picture on Amber's post. So that's what he replied to, and Amber Racing. So, you know what? That was really cool of him to do that, and that was that was awesome. And, yeah, so we may have missed Pitbull, but we will get Pitbull again. He is an owner, and he will be back, and the show keeps going on. But like you said, Tom Brady, he's doing his thing. Now he's in racing. But, uh, yeah, to your point with the NFL moves, what are moves are you most hopeful for or excited to see? I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be already, but I want to hear you say it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the quarterback is the most important position on the field. And, obviously, you know, you mentioned, you know, what's Tampa going to do. I think Tampa is going to be going through a rebuild. Um, I'm hearing rumors about Mike Evans might be traded. So I think that's something that may happen. They drafted Kyle Trask two years ago, almost three years ago now, I guess. And so I think they're going to give him every shot he can. They'll probably bring in somebody to compete with him, a veteran quarterback, somebody like Jared Goff, or, um, you know, maybe they bring in Carson Wentz, somebody along those lines that's been released. David Carr could be there as well. Um, It'll kind of depend on what they do with the offensive side of the football there in Tampa. I think they have bigger problems in Tampa to worry about, though, their defense needs to, to be really, in my opinion, they need to revamp some of the defensive side of the football too. I think they kind of caught lightning in a bottle these last couple of years. Um, but I, the one you were wanting to know, I, I think the, the, the decision by Aaron Rodgers is going to be a very key one. Um, most likely he is leaning towards either retiring or playing for one team in the AFC. And I'm hearing it's the Raiders, which would reunite him, of course, with uh, Devontae Adams if he was to go there. It would be another situation, kind of like what Tampa did a couple of years ago with Brady, lightning in a bottle. You have a team that's kind of built to win in a, in a maybe two- or three-year window, possibly win a Super Bowl. So there is a possibility that could happen. Um, I'm interested to see, too, you know, what happens with, uh, you mentioned before, Lamar Jackson. I've heard the Falcons are really, really high on him, even though they've got um, Desmond Ritter. If you can get a guy like uh, Lamar Jackson, that's a franchise type of player, He'd be a perfect fit down in Atlanta. I think he'd be a great fit there. Um, be a very popular quarterback in Atlanta. That's, that's a really great place for him to potentially end up. And I think the Falcons are going to probably be – I know I said this uh, a year or so ago. I think the teams that are going to be really good in that uh, NFC South over the next couple of years are going to be Atlanta and then also Carolina. Carolina's got some quarterback decisions to make as well. Uh, but they've got a coach in there that I think knows how to understand or knows how to coach quarterbacks, having been one himself. So that'll be interesting. And then, of course, what happens with the 49ers? You know, you had um, you had Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think he'll play for the 49ers again. I think he'll be moved. Um, he could be a possibility for Tampa Bay as well. Um, there's a few other places he could potentially end up. So it's going to be kind of a, a quarterback shuffle or – Musical chairs of quarterbacks. I'm not sure how you want to look at it, but I think it's going to be a lot of 
a lot of fun. I thought this was going to happen last year. I think this is going to be the year where we see probably 10 to 12 quarterbacks change teams. Yeah, I, I do think there's going to be some movement. And I do think – I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to retire. I, I think he still has something less in a tank. Like, I'm kind of hoping Tom doesn't hear this, Tom Brady, but I believe that – Aaron Rodgers still has another year or two, possibly three still left, very good productive years left in his arm and his body of work, whereas I feel as if there's less leeway for Tom, Tom Brady. I feel like you could see that the arm strength is starting to decline and, and things are starting to slip away from him, where I feel as if Aaron Rodgers still has a good bulk of his qualities still with him. So I don't – and it does seem like he still wants to play. I don't think he's, he's looking to retire. <clears throat> I, I, I could see him playing for another team is what I think is more likely going to happen. What do you think as far as Aaron, his decision? Well, I don't think he's going to go to a situation where he's going to go through a rebuild. Um, so I think you can rule out teams. Um, you know, I think you can rule Tampa out. I don't think he'd go to Tampa at this point because they're they're going through. In my opinion, they're going to go through a rebuild. I don't know if they have the cap room to bring him in as it is, anyways, with his enormous contract and of course where they kind of put themselves over these last uh, two or three years. I think he's going to want to go to a ready-made situation. Now, I'm not saying any of these teams necessarily are where he'll go, but a ready-made situation would be Miami. It would certainly be. Close, I'd say, in Las Vegas. If if Josh McDaniels can get things working the right way, um, he seemed to kind of screw things up there for a while. And if he can get things back on the right page and get a, a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers in there, that could change things drastically. I would also throw in there, um, you know, obviously the Jets. Now, I'm not sure if Aaron Rodgers, I know he likes attention. I'm not sure New York is the place for him, though. He seems like <laughs> more of a it seems like that might be a little too big for him. And, of course, you think about the enormous pressure to perform in New York and the Jets at that. This is a team that has not been to the Super Bowl in over 50 years. And so I think that would be kind of a, a difficult thing. And, obviously, that would spell a lot of similarities. Obviously, we're in that similar situation anyways with, you know, his replacement – or he, he being the replacement, of course, for Brett Favre 15 years ago. And then they draft uh, Jordan Love three years ago, and Love sits on the bench for three years. If Aaron Rodgers ends up with the Jets, it's just going to be kind of a repeat, rinse, repeat, recycle type of thing. So um, I, I don't think the Jets are going to be a place where he goes. I think that there's a very small window. Also, I don't think San Francisco, he's already basically said he doesn't want to play there. Um, so I think it comes down to probably two, maybe three teams. I'd say the likeliest is probably the, the Raiders. Um, I think it's a good situation. I've heard the Titans as well. I'm not sure if that has really any legs to it at all. Um, the benefit of him going to Las Vegas, in my opinion, would be, of course, reuniting with Devontae Adams, getting an opportunity to have that chemistry back. Look, they were they were a great, you know, they were a great tandem for what six years, seven years, whatever it was. So, I think having him go back or having him go out to Vegas and play, you know, in an offense that's a pretty pretty good offense, uh, I think they have out there. They bring in a few other pieces that could be a team in the next two or three years that makes a, a run for a Super Bowl, um, which I'm sure they'd really like to see that happen. Um, the retirement part, I think, would be if he looks at it and says, well, I just don't think any of these situations are going to pan out in that two or three year span. 
He's not going back to Green Bay. I'm going to say this right now. I, I think it's pretty clear the Packers have to make this decision, and they have to make it now or in the next probably two to three weeks, I would say, because the risk that you run if you keep Aaron Rodgers is he only plays for another year in Green Bay. And then you lose out on Jordan Love because he's going to probably ask for a trade, and he'll, he'll most likely get one. He doesn't want to sit on the bench for another year. He's, he's done that for three years now. So I think you have to make this decision. It's going to be like ripping off a, a big Band-Aid. But I think that uh, the word around the, the Packer organization right now is that Jordan Love is developed and he's ready to go. He is ready to take over and be a starting quarterback in the National Football League. And I think that's what we're going to see here come September. Yeah, I think it's Jordan Love's time now. I think I really do. I think you're right. The Packers got to make a decision. And I think the decision is pretty obvious to move on from Aaron Rodgers and go ahead and give Jordan Love a chance because, hey, you didn't make the playoffs. When are you going to play this kid? I mean, you're going to, you know, it's like you're regressing now. Now is the best time to do it. Let's see what he can do. Give him a full season. You got Christian Watson. You got some playmakers. I would like I would like him to, to go ahead and take over. But I agree with you. I think Aaron's done. But the biggest question I have is who do you think loves attention more? Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady? Uh, I would say they're probably about even, but I think that uh, Aaron Rodgers, well, I'll say this. I think Tom Brady hides that a little bit better than Aaron Rodgers does. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers is a little bit more aggressive in the attention seeking and Tom Brady is a little bit more passive and he likes it, but he doesn't really, he doesn't really overly acknowledge the fact that he likes it. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, he's not, you know, advertising for it as much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, and he'll put it out there to get some attention, but it's not like I think Aaron, I agree with you on that. I think Aaron will, will do stuff just to get some attention, you know. But it's, it should be cool to see what happens with them. I like to see where Aaron goes. I don't think he's going to retire. I think I think he's going to play again. I just don't think it's going to be for the Packers. And it's like history repeating itself with Brett Farr. Yeah, no, it's been exactly that to a T. Um, and if it repeats itself again, you know, another 15 years, we'll have uh, Jordan Love as a quarterback here in Green Bay, and they'll draft somebody in what year? That'd be 2038, 2037, and that quarterback will be the next guy. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Now, obviously, uh, we are on the doorstep of the NCAA tournament. How excited are you as we get into March Madness, as we get closer to the, the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and, of course, the National Championship uh, basketball? I'm real excited. In fact, we got something real special for you guys next week. Since we debuted a song for Sam Scola, we're going to debut another one, March Madness by Sam Scolo. We'll play that next week. Give you guys another opportunity to hear another debut song. But additional to hearing Sam Scolo's March Madness, it is a great time. It, it, yes, I, I think it's fantastic that you can fill out the bracket, take your choice. There's always going to be usually a Cinderella story. There's always going to be a favorite. There's so many great, you know, storylines that happen. Uh, Christian Leitner can come up. 
But then you could also have something like, you know, the Fab Five, you know, <laughs> Michigan, the Fabulous Five, you know, they didn't win, but boy, you can't forget that team. And, you know, it, that's the thing. Just don't call a timeout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't call a timeout. But you know what? Duke is is it's a team that's usually always there. It's 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 great to see March Madness, and when I think about March Madness, I, I think about Barack Obama. You know, he likes to call the bracket, uh, just like a lot of people. And for those who like to have the winning bracket, it should be interesting to see. What do you think? What are your thoughts? Well, somebody asked me uh, a day or two ago if I was going to fill out a bracket, and I, the first thing I said was, I'm not sure I can name 64, uh, 64 teams, 64 schools, so it would be hard for me to do it. But um, it's always fun to watch because it's such a quick thing. It goes by so fast. Um, there's games on at all hours of the day, and there's always every year one or two, usually it ends up being just the one at the end, Cinderella story. And – it's just a lot of fun. You know, we had that team here in Florida. I think it was Florida Gulf Coast University several years ago that was, uh, I believe they made the Elite Eight. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch. It's always fun. Like I said, it happens so fast. And these games, you talk about the, the speed of the game, the speed of this tournament and the speed of these games is electric, and it goes by so fast. And, you know, the nice thing, too, I'll say, is uh, is Dick Vitale is back calling games for ESPN again. Um at the college level. It's nice to have him back. It's been a few years, obviously, since we've had a real tournament. I mean, part of it was the pandemic three years ago. Um, you had uh, some restrictions in 2021. Dick Vitale couldn't call games last year with his cancer diagnosis. Now he's back now. So you can't really have college basketball without Dick Vitale. And it's nice to see him uh, back there and, and doing his thing there. It's awesome, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's 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 excited time, and you're right. I mean, they the odds of picking the right bracket is is uh, you have a better shot. I think hitting the lottery. I really probably, do. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> but it can happen. You know, people have gotten real close, and you got to be in it to win it. Just like they say in lotto, so you got to fill out your brackets, people, and. I'm going to go ahead and put in existence. We need to go ahead and hear from Barack Obama this time of the year for March Madness and his thoughts and who he thinks is going to make it. And he's a big basketball fan. It's a sign. We need to get Barack Obama on our show because guess what? Willie Horton, the reason, and people might be wondering why I tagged Barack Obama in that post. Well, Willie Horton and Barack Obama met and they're cool, and they both are part of history, black history. So that's what comes to March Madness is I love the fact that Barack Obama loves to fail out the bracket. That's something that he loves to do. I can see him doing that, getting ready for that. And, hey, I would have loved to see the Fabulous Five win that championship, but Christian Leitner, the Duke, that's <laughs> You know, those guys are rebels, man. They had the shorts all along. And, you know, I watched their documentary. I watched it twice. I love their swag. I really did. But it just goes to show you, it never fails. Mental 
IQ and never it beats and fundamentals beats swag. Even though you might want swag to win, you know, basketball IQ, knowing what to do in the heat of the moment, that makes a big difference. What are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's obviously one thing to be rooting for the flashy team. Obviously, that uh, is the eye appeal, so to speak, but it is the fundamentals is what wins games. Fundamentals is what allows you to be a good team consistently. Um, sure, you can get lucky and win some games here and there if you're not that good, but to do it consistently and do it the right way, it's going to be, like you said, the fundamentals there. So, um, yeah, those, those are some great uh, great uh, years in the 90s, some of those teams. I remember the Leitner shot, though, uh, against Kentucky in 1992. I was watching that. I was about 10 years old. And um, still, if I see a replay of that somewhere, I see it on – you know, YouTube or someplace, it, it still, you know, it still gives you chills to see that 30 uh, plus years later. So we may have some more moments like that, you know, this, uh, this March Madness. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, I plan to be out uh, watching some of these games, certainly, uh, as it's going to get really electric here in the next uh, probably two and a half, three weeks as we get closer to the end of March. And, of course, the NCAA Final uh, Four in the tournament, of course, right there at the very beginning of April. So, um Football, we talked a little bit about that here. XFL going on tomorrow, or this weekend, rather. Where are the Orlando Guardians this weekend? Yes, and in fact, we're going to go ahead and do that. We're going to talk about the XFL, Orlando Guardians, a lot to talk about, a lot to unpack. I'm going to give you guys an inside scoop. But before we do that, we're going to go ahead and play a great song by Sam Scola, the Orlando Guardians. We're going to talk about them. Sam Scola and Mary, we really appreciate you guys. Here's the Orlando Guardian song by Sam Scola. The Orlando Guardian, XFL football time. The Orlando Guardian, it's now kickoff time. Game day is here. Victory cheer, the new XFL Sports League year. The Orlando Guardians, the new season begins. The Orlando Guardians, we watch our team win. The Orlando. The Orlando Guardians The Orlando Guardians The Orlando Guardians Buy your tickets today A great season on the Yes, thank you, Sam Scola, for the Orlando Guardians song. A lot to discuss about the XFL and Orlando Guardians. First and foremost, got to thank the Orlando Guardians and the XFL. For those who don't know, they went ahead and we went to the home opener, the Allen and Aaron Sports Greatest Show, 
It was first class. They even gave us really nice gifts of, of a Orlando Guardians, nice aluminum cup, and they also gave a nice little billfold, but it's not just a billfold. It has magnetic pen that you could put on the outside, and it's just it says XFL clean as a whistle. That's going to put all my XFL notes in there for you guys. And uh, we can't thank the Orlando Guardians and the XFL enough. In fact, you guys deserve a round of applause for that hospitality. Let me do that for you right now. You know, it was really cool to hang out with the players you know, both on the field, the locker room, and in the press box, and got a great view of the game. It was just phenomenal. Got a chance to go ahead and talk and interview. We can ask a question to Danny Garcia. Props to Danny Garcia, Dwayne Johnson, and Jerry Cardinal for, for Redbird Capital for all that they do for the XFL. And even here on the Allen Aaron Sports Radio Show, we have a big XFL following because of the work that we're doing for the XFL and the Orlando Guardians. Let me talk about the game that's coming up, and then I'll talk about some of the requests that we've gotten by fans. The next game, which is going to be Sunday, this is coming up Sunday, March 5th at 4 p.m. The Orlando Guardians are away, and they're facing the Arlington Renegades. They're looking to win their first game. That's the Orlando Guardians. They're 0-2 now. I'm really hoping that they win this game. It's really tough to do interviews and ask questions when the team loses. That's not just for the coach. That's for the whole players. I've always kind of had a feeling how this was going to be prior to being in the media. But now that I am in the media and I am on the other side of the fence and actually asking the questions, it's never easy when you're asking when the team does not win, I am hoping I know how hard they really want to win, how bad they want to win. I'm really hoping they get their first win. What are your thoughts, Aaron, on you having to ask questions when your opponent loses, both the players and the coach? Well, you know, it makes it a little more difficult to do your job, to be quite honest with you. I think that um, winning and, and, and happiness of winning is something that usually carries over to everybody. So there's that opposite side of it there. You know, when a guy has a bad game and, and you lose, uh, he maybe threw an interception late in the game or made an ill-advised uh, play at some point or did, didn't tackle a guy, something along those lines. Asking those questions are going to be very difficult. But, you know, I, I think that we learned this from Chip Carey uh, two years ago when we interviewed him. They have a job to do and we have a job to do. And I think if you ask those questions in the right way and the right mindset and the right uh, tone, um, you know, usually those guys are going to – they may not be as happy and, and cheerful to apply, but they're going to give you an answer and give you a straight answer. So I think that, um, you know, you hope for a win because usually, again, you're probably going to get more more positive content. Uh, but at the same time, you know, as being a part of the media, I think that uh, we we have our, our position on it as well. And it's not to get in anybody's face or get them upset with us or anything like that. It's to, hey, what were, what, what, what were you thinking when this happened or what what – um, window did you see down the field before you threw that interception, that kind of a thing. So, um, you know, I hope that they win because I'm sure you want to have some good questions in there where, <laughs> you don't, where you don't feel like the guy's going to, you know, potentially, you know, 
come at you kind of a thing. So, yeah, I hope they do win because watching the game, the home opener, just by me talking to the coach, usually now I speak to Coach Buckley three times a week, and I just know that he really wanted to win the game. And when they started to pull apart, you know, and lose the game to the Brahmas, I just knew it was going to be tough to interview him and the players. And, you know, the players, they did did great, so did the coach. But I just – now I had like, oh, man, I got to ask questions now. And I know how bad they wanted to win that game. So that was tough, but we got through it. And it was was a great experience, learning experience too. In fact, we're going to – speaking of that, I have gotten a lot of requests for me to go ahead and interview Paxton Lynch, the quarterback – that's one of the quarterbacks for the XFL, who also does play a lot, is DeAndre Francois from, you know, he's also a big-time quarterback that plays for the XFL as well, and from Florida State, and went as FSU. And, yes, I am doing my best. I will do my very best to try to get interview with either Paxton and or DeAndre this week. I cannot make any promises because this game is away. It's not like I could go into the club, uh, into the locker room and just ask him. I'm not traveling with the team, although I would have, you know, thankfully with the XFL, I would have the opportunity to do that, but I'm not traveling. So I can't just walk in the locker room and just ask because I'm not going to the game. I'll be watching the game, supporting them, but I won't be at this particular game. If I don't get them this week, just be patient, guys. It's like, I feel like the fans are like, <clears throat> they want Paxton Lynch now. And I'm like, hey, I can't just run it and just run it and, you know, ask him to do it. It doesn't work that way. Having said that, we got a call in line. Let's do that. Welcome to the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. How you doing this evening? Yeah, I'm all right, man. How you doing, man? Doing great. Thank you for asking about yourself. Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, long time no see. How you been? Man, you know how it go, man. Been, been cool, man. How about you? <laughs> Everything's going well. Thankfully, you know, the, the weather is nice. It's not as cold as it was. And things are turning around. A lot of things going on now with sports. So what do you got your 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 eyes on this, this time of the year? Oh, well, you know, NBA, of course. I'm, I'm always on the league. Um yeah. I guess, it's, you know, wait on March Madness, and then I'll get into college basketball a little bit, and wait on MLB. Uh, yeah. I guess yeah, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, a lot going on. So what are your thoughts on LeBron and two parts? What are your thoughts of him now being the all-time leading scorer? Yeah, man. Um like it's an amazing accomplishment. It might this might be one of those unbreakable records, uh, just because of the durability it takes to be able to last that long for one, and then just to accumulate those numbers. Dude, you got to show up almost all eighty-two, and you know with load management that they're probably going to do with all the young players we see now. That's going to be really hard to do. Then you got to think about the deep playoff runs and all of that. But yeah, man, he's. Like, when people do the GOAT stuff, I don't really get into that. But he's up there in the conversation of most decorated. And, and this is a big a big part of uh, 
you know, whatever you want to say about his career, man, you can't take this away from him, man. To get past Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, like, man, yeah, shout out to Brown for that. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I was telling that to Aaron, too, that, you know, one thing about LeBron is very different is that, yes, I understand why people would still put Jordan ahead of him in the GOAT category, <clears throat> but the interesting thing about LeBron is that he's kind of creating his own unique and very different legacy. I mean, he's racking up all the warts, and the crazy thing about LeBron is that he's not a selfish guy. He passes first. For him to have that that record is just insane. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the difficult part, man. Lasting that long, playing that many games, that many heavy minutes. Like, we see what these minutes do to guys. Like, we saw the back nine of Kobe's career. You know what I mean? <laughs> we saw yeah. the back nine of Dirk's career. <laughs> like, no matter how great you are, eventually, you know, the minutes start to wear you down. And we're seeing that with him now to where – these nagging injuries turn into weeks-long, you know, problems for him, and he can't even recover like he used to. Yeah, it's just, you know, father time. You're right. You know, age catches up to you. You're right. Father time, age just catches up to you, and, you know, those injuries, they take longer to heal. But I just, I'm just amazed with LeBron in that record is the fact that he's not a selfish guy. Just imagine if he was kind of like a ball hog where he would be at with this, with those points, and he's not. I'll give people can say anything they want to say about LeBron. One thing he is not is is a ball hog. That guy passes first. He passes even to the point of sometimes it hurt him in the playoffs. It's just an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the closest thing to magic we've ever seen as far as running an offense, facilitating, and you know, getting shots for people. And honestly, when you think about it, if he didn't have that facilitation arm, it wouldn't have been as easy to go to different teams, put the groups of guys around them, and have guys buy in. The fact that he was unselfish, I think, was a big part of his, you know, his, his career being so successful. Because, look, man, other guys are trying to get paid, too. Other guys want to get their numbers, too. Yeah. And we've seen people sour on other superstars playing with them. Yeah, you're right. And that's the thing. <laughs> A lot of times, guys don't like playing with another guy who's just as good, or if not better than them. You see that in the NBA. It's it's more ego, I think, in the NBA than anything because there's less guys on the team. What are your thoughts on on that? That one guy can play with a superstar, not everybody can. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a little mix of that because you know, like everybody, everybody has egos. But more than anything, it's just these skill sets become redundant. So it's really hard to pair them together. So like if you maximize on all the things you can do, more than likely other all-star guys have maximized on similar things. So putting them together, is hard to make it work. So look at Paul and Kawhi. Great as they are individually, they're, they're kind of redundant as far as their skill sets. So putting them together hasn't been what people thought it would be. And I, I think you'll see a lot of that when it comes to kind of putting these teams together. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. And now LeBron got that bad foot injury. Do you think he's going to maybe come back this year, or what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, <laughs> even if he does, I don't know if it really matters as far as, like, the, the record is done. Uh, they could possibly, I guess, what, make the play in and win around maybe. But besides that, it's not really – 
they're not a contender or anything. So, I don't, I don't yeah, that <laughs> and then he got that record out of the way. Right, right. So yeah. I, I don't know, man. But shout out to AD though, man, because AD gonna have to carry it now, and everything's gonna be on him, and it's gonna be ugly if he gets hurt again and can't finish this run. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and but. College basketball, you have any thoughts on who you think might win it all the way? Oh, I have no idea, man. I, I haven't really watched this year. So I'm just trying to – I'm kind of catching up. And you're looking at – you know, you're just assuming stuff about traditional powers, and then you watch them, and you're like, oh, they don't even play like I thought they would because <laughs> this, ain't, this ain't early 2000s. So – yeah. yeah, man, I have no idea. I definitely want to listen to you about that, man, uh, what you got about this year. You know, I, I, yeah, it's to be determined, I probably will have more more picks next week because it just got started up. But I'm, I'm curious to see how a bracket will look, and I got to make sure I got that done. So I'll definitely have that ready for you guys next week. But I, I did want to ask you about, speaking about basketball, what are your thoughts about the modern-day NBA player with load management? Do you agree with it or you disagree with it? Uh, oh, I definitely do. But, see, I don't even think this is coming from the players necessarily. I think more than anything, this is coming from management. This is coming from all the sports scientists and all these other groups that they've hired, uh, them going to Sloan every year and looking at analytics. And ultimately, you get a group of guys telling an owner, okay, if you're investing a max contract in this guy, okay, would you get a Porsche and drive it to work every day? Would you redline it all the time? And the proof is in the pudding, man. Popovich figured this out years ago. The Spurs had an advantage because he figured it out, and then everybody else started doing it. Yeah, that's right. You know, just like the NFL and – NBA, you know, it's a copycat league. When someone sees what you're doing and it's become successful, everybody else is going to follow it. You're right about that. So, Yeah, and I think that their problem with Pop was he was doing this for, like, major broadcast uh, games. So that's why I think David Stern was so mad at Popovich for doing it at first. Was like, dude, we got a nationally televised game and Tim and Manu and Tony aren't out there. Like, dude, this ain't good. What, what are you doing? And I think everybody else is trying to be a little careful with it uh, for the fans. So if it's a big home game or if it's somebody they want to see, they'll try to manage it to do it the next day. But overall, man, the season is a marathon. It should probably be 50 to 60 games instead of 82. But to do that, the owners will have to give up a lot of money, and they're not willing to do it. So (laughs) we're just going to keep rolling of 82. You're right about that, and, you know, they, the owners don't want to give up some money. And, and speaking of owner, what do you think about Michael Jordan, him being an owner, and his impact of being an owner in the league so far? Uh, well, I mean, I think he's done a good job, man. When he first started, he hired a bunch of his friends. Uh, he used his opinions instead of evaluating his opinions. And it was terrible. It was a disaster. And then he started to hire more people who knew what they were doing from across the league as opposed to just his little small circle. And now, you know, they're a viable team. They didn't make the playoffs this year, but they had the -the off-the-court thing with Miles Bridges, and now LaMelo is out for the season. But you roll back next year and, you know, you have a a, – LaMelo's got more followers than some NBA teams, okay? Like, 
he's a, he's a big <laughs> deal as far as having a superstar in a small city. And if you can figure out a way to keep him there, possibly get Steph last year or so when he's about to retire in Charlotte, you know, to come back home. Like, there's a lot you can do in Charlotte. So I think, I think Mike's done fine now. Now, early on, of course, yeah, it was a disaster. But I, I think he's done fine now. Yeah, and you're right about that. There's, there's a lot you can do there. So it's good that uh, Michael Jordan learned. Sometimes you got to get the right people in the right place to help you. Yeah, you can't hire your cousin, man. Like, it's, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, it, it don't work like that. <laughs> you, you can hire him for fan experience, but you can't hire him for personnel. So, you know, Mike had to, had to kind of learn that lesson. But the, the interesting thing about Mike as an owner, though, is you got to remember Mike in his last few years in Chicago where he was going so hard because, uh, against the salary cap because he talked about how he could never make the money he was, uh, you know, he was actually worth because of the salary cap. And then you see him switch to the owner's side of the table where now he's arguing against the players and trying to take a bigger slice of the pie. Like you see how people's motivations move based on where their interests are. And then that, that's the sad part with Mike. And I think we'll see a similar thing with LeBron. Uh, the young stars of tomorrow are going to be fighting LeBron in the boardroom someday. You're absolutely right, man. That's a great point. You know, you even saw that with Derek Jeter when he became an owner. When he was a player, he was kind of <laughs> – he was mad when the Yankees were trying to shortchange him when he did his contract renewal. But as soon as he became an owner, the first thing he did was get rid of the expensive guy on the team. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You're absolutely right. People, as soon as their interests change and when they're actually in the seat that's being affected, you know what? It, the, all bets are off. Anything that they said that was criticized on the other side is all off. Yeah, and you remember, like, Derek came down there and he said, oh, he had all these, these specific connections and these things he was going to do with media that was going to be special. And, you know, uh, the Samson, the outgoing uh, uh general manager, uh, kind of, you know, he kind of laughed, and Samson was right, because like, dude, that's a bad market for baseball. It never turned into what they thought it would be. They were never able to fill up that building, but they were able to squeeze out two chips by just loading up and then selling off the assets and rebuilding again, and that's kind of the formula that they're stuck in. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just, it's tough to sell tickets, especially baseball tickets in in South Florida, there's just there's so much going on there, and baseball is not on high on their list. It's just the the nature of the beast. Right, and so many of the people who they thought because they said, okay, there's a big Cuban population here, there's a big this population here, but the problem was most of those expats that that were there, they already had teams, so they weren't necessarily about to flip to Miami just because they lived there they would still follow whatever team they grew up following or team they picked up before they got here. And they would show up for those home stands, but they weren't showing up for the Marlins. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> but that's so true. People's interests change when their position changes. That's for sure. Yes, yeah. Oh, oh uh, what's up with your boy, Jake Paul? I know you're a big boxing guy. <laughs> you watch it or what do you think? You know, the thing about Jake Paul, I, I was hoping that he actually won this fight. I know that it was close, but 
I was actually kind of sad that he lost because, in a way, he, he did give a lot of excuses after the fight. I really don't know if, if where his career goes from this point because a lot of Jake Paul was built in the fact that he was undefeated. You know, it's kind of like Mayweather. People love to hate him, but Mayweather never lost. Well, Jake Paul now has lost his first fight, and not only did he lose his first fight, he lost his first fight against a pro boxer, which makes it worse because of the fact that his stock really goes down. And I feel bad for him in that sense because I actually picked Jake Paul to beat Tommy Fury. I did think he was going to win that fight, but he did not. You know, props to Tommy Fury winning. What are your thoughts on where Jake Paul goes goes from this point on? Uh, sky's the limit. Uh, not in boxing, but sky's the limit everywhere else. Like, wherever he goes, it's like he has in his pocket those, what, 40, 50 million young guys who really like yeah. him and look up to him and grew up on his videos. Like, no matter what, he takes that fan base there. So, you know, he's doing that, that, that sports app. And I'm sure he's going to get into a lot of other things. They got the sports drink going. So I, <laughs> I just think boxing is just something he's just going to toss away and walk away from and be doing something else pretty soon, man. WWE, anything. Like, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I, fortunately, I agree with you. I think, I think because of this loss, that's why I was hoping it may have came after two or three, four more. But, yeah, this loss really hurt his stock as far as boxing is concerned. I mean, can he get another fight? Yeah, he probably could. But who's going to really watch it at this point? You know, Tommy Fury, I think, was one of the kind of like lower-level boxers that you could fight. It just gets tougher from here on in. So I know he knows how to make money. I felt bad for Chick Paul because of that reason more than anything. Like, oh, man, you just hurt the money train, so to speak. Oh, don't worry. He's going to be grifting those young kids for years, man. Uh, the, the money will always be there for him, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so that's a great point. point man, at a certain point, guys like that take more from boxing than they give to boxing. So, Yeah, you know? that's a point. And that's what I'm going to look to do. I'm going to try to track down Jake Paul and see what he's up to now that he got his, his first unfortunate professional loss. But, you know, props to Jake Paul. You know, he, he finally did fight a boxer. You got to give him credit for that, you know? Yeah. And do we know if uh, Fury is even good? That's the part where it's like <laughs> years or let's say two years from now, we're going to look back on this and say, okay, these were just club-level fighters who were famous. So I don't know. Yeah. I think the jury's still out on if Fury's good. I, I really think the jury's still out on that. I know he doesn't have a lot of fights. He has – this is his ninth fight. But the jury, to me, is still out with him on that. You know, I, I just I, – I question his dedication. He, he doesn't act professional all the time. He misses some of these press conferences. And it, it's kind of like he has one foot in, one foot out too much. So I, I – I, the jury's out, still out for me on that one. Yeah, you're right, though. You can't miss those presses because their whole thing is selling. And Paul is good on the mic. And, you know, that's a, that's a huge part of it. And Fury, Fury wasn't bad on the mic, but like you said, oh, you're not showing up, man. Come on, dude. 
Yeah, he didn't show up to the first one. I mean, yeah, he did show up later on, but come on, you got to show up to these press conferences. You know, that's that's where you make your sales. You know, it, it hurts when you don't show up. That's that's just the way it is. The guy can't debate himself. So right. <laughs> yeah. So kind of talk his talk his way into mega fights. You know what I mean? Even when yeah. he wasn't anywhere near what he was, but he was able to talk his way into it. He sure was. I got to give Conor McGregor a lot of credit. That guy can sell a fight. Him, him and Floyd, those two guys. You know what? I swore. I, I kid you not. This is a fact. When they first announced that Mayweather was going to fight Conor McGregor, I said, there's no way I'm buying that fight. I am not buying that fight. No way, no how. But I watched it all access, part one and two, and I said, yo, you know what? I got to give these guys credit. These guys are salesmen of the year. They sold me into, into the fight. I'm going to pay for it like a sucker and watch the fight. And sure enough, I did. Sold <laughs> the fight to me. You know what? I got to give him credit. They sold the fight. Because Con- at that time, Conor McGregor still was credible. You know, this is way back. He still was credible enough where could he have beaten Mayweather? I thought it was highly unlikely, but it wasn't impossible because at that time, Conor McGregor did back it up, you know? So I said, you know what? Anything can happen. He sold me into it. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Conor and selling abilities? <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he, dude, he's one of the best, like, up there almost with Ali, like, as far as talking. Like, as far as on the mic, selling something, he's one of the best to ever do it. I'll definitely give him that. Now, as a fighter, when we <laughs> like – like you said, the salesmanship and everything before it, we were all hyped to watch it. And then the fight started, and you saw this dude slapping and <laughs> just throwing punches. And Floyd threw, I think, I want to say Floyd threw like five punches in the first round. So it was like, okay, clearly Floyd is going to carry this dude for some rounds and then eventually get him out of there. And that's exactly what happened. So I think there was an understanding there, not the idea that, you know, it was a fix. Just the idea of Floyd knew it had to look good. He couldn't just come in there and just blow him out. Yeah, I, and I give Mayweather credit for that. He he knew that it wasn't going to look good if he just blew him out. And Conor actually did pretty good in that first round. He did do the slapping thing, but he most guys, they, they couldn't even get like an uppercut combination on him, and he actually did look pretty decent. He did an uppercut combination on, on Floyd, and he made it look pretty good. And then he just ran out of gas. He ran out of gas. Because the, the guys who usually fight Floyd have to worry about that check hook, which Floyd wouldn't throw against him early because, like I said, he wanted the fight to go where it wanted. And, and that's the other amazing thing about Floyd, which is so funny because everybody, like, they accuse him of running for one, and they say he's not a great puncher. Well, somebody with broken hands, that'll affect your, your, your ability to, to get people out of there. But one thing we do know, that damn check hook hurts, and that's why everybody who said they were going to get inside and bruise him and, and go to the body, by around the fourth or fifth round, they just stayed on the outside and then just got into a boxing contest with a <laughs> with a master technician. It just ended every, yeah. every time the same way. And that's the thing I don't think Floyd gets enough credit for. The guy does punch harder than most people give him credit for, and his boxing IQ is just second to none. He can read your body language. He knows when you're throwing a punch. He knows what's coming. His boxing IQ is just off the charts. 
And awareness of the clock, awareness of where he is, uh, when he should get a flurry in, when he should stop. It, yeah, everything, man. Yeah, he's like a master technician. And, you know, throughout all the fights I've seen him, he maybe slipped once or twice, like when he fought. I thought when he fought, when he fought Cotto was a very good fight. You know, there's been a couple of fights where his competition did give him did give him a run for his money, but overall, Floyd is just you know he comes from a generation of boxers, and he's just so gifted and so great at what he does. There's just that's just what it is. He has crazy skill, and yeah, people call it running. Some of his fights, I agree, can be boring. But it is like he, Floyd does say it's it's boxing, not slugging. That it is. It's boxing, not slugging. true boxing is not slugging, and it's not you know as entertaining as people would like it to be because you're not exchanging punches all day long. Yeah, and then people want you to fight a stupid fight, basically. So it's like somebody telling Shaq he shouldn't dunk. Oh, it's too easy for Shaq to dunk. Why are you dunking? Yeah. He should do that. That's his advantage, so why shouldn't he take advantage of it? Like, it's just common sense. He shouldn't fight the fight you want him to. That's not to his advantage. It makes no sense, and we, and we don't ask that of any champion because he won't be champ for long doing it. <laughs> exactly. And, and the point is people actually listen to Floyd and not kind of like get turned off by his bravado and then they don't listen. If you actually just listen to what he's saying, he'll tell you, Hey, I can't make it a long career by just exchanging punch with people. He'll tell you that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He'll say it. He'll say, mm-hmm. you know, I can't stand there and just take punches because I won't have a long career. So he'll admit it that he's got to, you know, have great defense. He's got to move out the way. And yeah, it might be boring to you, but this is what he has to do in order for him to A, win the fight, and B, survive for a long career. Right, and and then when a guy is thirty six, and he's fighting somebody <laughs> as young <laughs> as young as Canelo, you can't tell me the guy's running. Like I do, thirty six year old age. Like no, no. like that's, you cannot you cannot use that as an excuse. It's an old guy. If you can't cut off the ring and force him to fight your fight, that's a you problem. Exactly, and and Floyd is just you know he's 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 a a ring genius. That's just what I would call him, man. And he's a business genius too. And he knows how to he knows how to make money. I'm glad he changed his name from Pretty Boy Floyd to Floyd Money Mayweather because that guy knows how to just make money like there's no tomorrow. Now that's the one part that scares me though. Ten, twenty years from now, that part could get a little scary. He when I'm still doing first. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, he wouldn't be the first to find out that he's been getting stolen from, some of the investments he was advised to take weren't the bet. Like, that's the part that scares me about Floyd because I don't want to see him go out like that. But, dude, we've seen it from so many men. Yeah, you're right about that. You know, I hope so, too, that that he doesn't lose his money, but he definitely has plenty of it. And it's amazing and to – I'm good. Go ahead. Now, I was just going to say, the, the, the funny thing about sports with, with athletes and money is the guys who some people would call unsophisticated or simple or whatever, those country guys who would get them a little barbecue spot or a laundromat, 
and everything else is in the bank, like not doing anything to grow money, and everybody's getting <laughs> mad at them because they're not making investments. Those dudes end up with a comfortable living, and they kept their bread. The guys who get all the advisors and all these people telling them what to invest, those are the people who end up in trouble. So that, that's the absolutely thing about sports, man. That's, that's absolutely right, is that, you know, be careful who you're getting advice from because it, these, you know, fortunately these advisors do lose money, and unfortunately some of them steal money too. So be careful who you're getting advice from. But yeah, it's 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 been awesome hearing from you again, and it's a long time no seek. We hope that you don't be much of a stranger the next time around. Yes, sir, and and hopefully next week I know a little bit about college basketball, man, so I can speak about it with you, man. But I gotta I gotta play catch up on that because I've been on the NBA so hard. Yeah, no no problem at all. Next week we'll talk about the NCAA, and we'll go ahead and compare notes on that, and definitely look forward to hearing from you. All right, man. You have a good weekend, dude. You do the same. Have a great weekend as well, and definitely a pleasure. Always great to hear from you, and we look forward to hearing from you again. All right, man. Peace. All right. Take it easy. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye now. All right. Well, Alan, this has been another great uh, great show here this evening uh, for March 3rd, 2023, and I think – I uh, think our great sponsor, once again, Chef Key's Florida Barbecue Sauce, so delicious and addicting. You may need a support group. We're going to have a lot of great stuff to talk about next week as we advance into, uh, as we just talked about there, uh, the NCAA uh, basketball tournament. Spring training will be a week uh, deeper in. Uh, we'll have a better, clearer picture then. So I um, want to thank our great listeners again for uh, for supporting us and for, uh, for tuning in here tonight. If you miss any of our show, it, of course, is available for, uh, for uh, airing at any time. If you check out any of the places where podcasts are at, of course, you'll find the uh, Alan and Aaron Sports Talk podcast there. So for Alan, this is Aaron signing off. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk podcast. Subscribe and check us out on your favorite social media platform. Thank you.